This is the Life in the Front Office podcast. I want to first thank all of our listeners to making this a success and helping us continue to grow. We bring on sports executives and professionals from around the industry, all different aspects of the industry, to provide insights and advice for those who are trying to enter the sports industry or those who are already in the industry just looking to learn something new and continue to get better. If you like our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and visit our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com for more episodes. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and I've got my co-host, Pat Gallagher, with me. And we've got a special guest of Rick Horo today, and, and really excited uh, to discuss Rick's uh, career in sports, a lot of uh, experience to talk about, uh, but I'm going to let my co-host Pat introduce him and and we'll kind of go from there. Well, Rick Haro is, is, you know, the sports professor. We're going to talk about, you know, how you got that label, but I would venture to say that you are the most prolific authority on the sports business uh, today, and you seem to be everywhere. I mean, if you if you do a search on on Rick Haro, you'll get his sport uh, his his ventures site. But he's on everything. He's on on CBS Sportsline, on CNN, Westwood One, uh, Fox Sports Radio. And what he does what he does is talks about what's sort of under the hood of sports. You know what makes it work, who are the, who the players are, what makes it tick, and that's really what we really want to talk about here today, Rick. And and it's a uh, first of all, I got to say. Uh, the, the moniker or the label, the sports professor, you know, that, that conjures some thoughts. How, how did you get that? Lost a bet. No, I'm <laughs> Actually, you know, f- 50 years ago, and I, this is, a, this, I'll condense the answer, but I really feel strongly about this. So, you know, w- when I was in, law, in at, at Northwestern undergrad, I said, let me try to go to an Ivy League school and got into Harvard and said, why am I doing this? I, I don't want to do corporate law. I want to do sports law. But the problem was there was no such thing. So at the end of the day, I uh, um, really long story short, I was third year paper, did you know, grew up in South Florida. And, you know, from not being a hockey guy in a hockey city, my whole world of trying to get in, uh, I thought excessive sports violence, hockey fighting would be kind of an interesting thing to talk about in retrospect with Brian Burke as one of my roommates and all that, that, that had a, not a dead end, but an interesting collision. But uh, he was in my law school class and then a couple of other kind of famous people. But I said, I want to do a third year paper on, 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 on sports law. And the, then the dean, I remember vividly saying, hey, that's great. I like that idea. But there's no such thing as sports law. I said, what are, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and he said, all right, that's I, still it's torch. It's everything else. Long story short, made a bet with the guy that if I beat him in squash, uh, he would give me a, a hall pass to to uh, Schaefer Stadium, old Schaefer and, and Boston Garden, et cetera. And I would do a thesis and a paper uh, on it. And if I, if, I, if I lost the bet, I'd suck it up and do normal corporate and criminal and probably die an early violent death. Uh, my, uh, my, uh, co- my coach, by the way, he became my roommate. Here's the piece. He's uh, John Roberts, who's the chief justice. Oh. And he and I talk all the time about what might have been on his side and on my side. So from there, it's actually part his idea. He's... <laughs> something that's kind of unique and we thought about creating the sports professor trademark and i applied just because 
I didn't want to feel like a real professor, although I still, you know, do lectures at Harvard Law. All of us in the business do that in a variety of ways. But I wanted to reach the consumer. You know, it's a one point seven trillion dollar business and sports business, law, politics, anthropology, deal making. When you say law, it kind of glazes over. But all of it is the same. How do you get into, as you said, under the hood of the sports business? So in a way, I won a bet. I didn't lose a bet. But the only people that have been pissed off about my trademarking the name the sports professor are actual sports professors because they think I'm peeing <laughs> on their territory. And I listen, I, I could care less, to be honest with you. It's really been a fun ride. Yeah, and I think, Rick, I'll, I'll, I'll make a bold statement here. I think you may be having more fun these days than John Roberts is. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he would agree with that. But, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, an incredible roommate. But. The stuff that you're doing, I mean, all the deals over the years you've done. I mean, I, I knew I knew about you many, many years before we actually got a chance to meet. And all the all the deals that you did, understanding how the you know how the business works. One of the, the one question I wanted to start off with is how do you keep up with it all? What do you read? What do you watch? How do you get the information that allows you to do the shows and the things that you do? I was about to say on heavy drugs, but, you know, you, you, you can't really do that because this is a podcast that people are going to listen to. Uh, you've just got to be very compartmentalized and very flexible and look at trends. You know, Gallagher, you're interesting because you're very interesting. But a lot of people that I know in the business really cut their teeth on doing one thing really, really well and very successful. You know, you're obviously the father or grandfather, illegitimate brother of San Francisco sports. So, you know, the Giants and the A's and everybody else there and Dulwich does the mm -hmm. same thing. And it was a lot of immersion in one community. I started doing stuff with the Miami Heat, kind of helped found it, build the arena, came back to South Florida where I live today. And if you have any questions about whether it's the right decision, 210 million people are freezing their butts off as we speak. <laughs> and I'm looking at Joe Namath's house and Ricky Fowler's house and Dustin Johnson's house and the intercoastal waterway. And it's 82 degrees. So, you know, go top that. So it sounds, you know, yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty damn good. Yeah. We have all this we, the, in California. It's all burning up. I it's mean, it's all we're, burning up and your earthquakes, man, they come and they go quickly, but man, those seven seconds, it's, it's our, it, it's our way of telling the tourists that it's time to go home. That's well, our, us, it's our way to do that thing. But we have at least two or three day warning before, you know, you get out of dodge. For you, it's like immediate and there is no warning. But, you know, to get back to your point, really, uh, in a fun way, uh, you have to you have to combine knowing enough about all of the general issues with knowing a little bit about the specifics. I never try to get that last quote in the Wall Street Journal that some of those, uh, I don't want to name names, but there are a lot of people who will say anything just to get themselves in the paper. And, you know, for me, you got to be generally aware of everything that's going on, coupled with kind of being through these life experiences with these hundred and some deals that I've done. And, you know, my claim to fame, I know Gallagher, you're the same way, is just we're old. Right. Yeah, we've, exactly. we've been around for a while. We've, you know, we've, we, we've, you know, we, 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 we've lived it. And the point is you, you gather so much knowledge and so much experience and hopefully so much wisdom, but then you find yourself being old and you, you kind of say, I still got it. Does anybody want it? Well, that's so. the point. You know, we've got it and I'm not put out the pasture yet, but I, I can see the pasture from here. I can see those sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the okay. sheep down the road. But, you know, you and I are both the same in the sense that 
you know, we've 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 achieved some and humility is really important. And, you know, we'll talk about my book, but that's a legacy for me. You've done legacies with so much more. Your Super Bowl committee heading is still the definitive inspiration. You didn't know it was going to be Super Bowl 50, but it was incredible, an incredible game, incredible events. And and so it's not, you know, let's go out on the back nine. But with this information, the one thing that I will not do, and that's why I'm spending most of my time now with the book and doing some speaking and kind of ambassadorial stuff, I'm not going to compete with a 32-year-old to discuss what the color of seats and what the right arena site and what the financing mechanism ought to be. Been there, done that. I'm kind of above and beside the fray, and it's time for the young guys to do that. It totally is the time. So, so let, let me, you know, what I love about listening to your stuff and watching you is that, you know, you're, you're the kind of the king of sort of the rapid fire. And, and so I, I, I something I've been dying to ask you, if, if Rick, if you had a billion dollars right now, would you invest in sports? And if, and if you, if you, if the answer is yes, where would you go? Where would you put it? Yeah. Well, I, it's a very interesting question because uh, when, you know, you think of, what the best return is and effectively impervious to market shifts. I mean, you know, other than the NBA's lack of, of, of vision and who would have thought it that, you know, yeah. some 25, 30% of the revenues might be wiped out because of one tweet, but yet it'll come back. And I know the values will be affected, but they're not going to go down significantly. I mean, look at soccer today. I'm not, I wouldn't invest a billion dollars in soccer, but just to give you an example, you know, Forbes comes out with their numbers yesterday and the MLS increases 34 percent. Now, the metrics don't justify that, to be honest about it, but the value does. And to me, I would definitely invest in a sports franchise and I'd invest so I could control the process. But here's the criteria for me. It's not just any investment. It's somewhere where there is a stadium or arena redo, refinance, contiguous development, something kind of like Pac Bell and what you were involved in. And you can do good around a facility and be part of it. You know, Chase Arena is going to be amazing. And I know in your neck of the woods, that's part of it. But the other piece is I'd want the franchise to be a significant platform for doing great by doing good. You know, enough of the let's maximize ROI that we're all, I'm all for that as well. But if you buy franchises, you have the ability to uh, get your money back or make even more on sale. You're a trustee. Uh, you have a significant community obligation, whether you think so or not. So I would spend the billion bucks finding the right franchise where I could make a significant investment in the surrounding community. But also I would create a platform for doing real good. Now, there are a lot of those opportunities out there, but that's my criteria. Hey, Rick, so you, you talk about, you know, I, I love Pat, Pat's question in, in terms of if you had a billion dollars, which, quite frankly, I think, how many, how many, Pat, do you know how many organizations or franchises you couldn't buy for a, mil- a billion dollars now? That- well, it, it, you know, you used to be yeah. able to, the, the, yeah. that, that was, it, it, that was something that you would only dream about. I mean, in, in 1976, when I joined the Giants, uh, Bob Lurie bought the franchise, the franchise, San Francisco Giants. For eight million dollars, you that and Abner, you, you and, and Abner Doubleday were partners. Right? <laughs> it was back, yeah, it was sort of back in right after the dead ball era, right yeah. back during that time. So <laughs> that's the but, only thing that's dead. Thanks but Rick, God. Rick, yeah. I want to I want to pick up on something that you just said, which 
you, and I know you speak about it a lot, this whole thing about corporate social responsibility and sports role in that whole thing. Talk a bit about that. What, what, what responsibility does sport have? Yeah, very good point at a lot of, a lot of levels. When you look at the growth stats, uh, and it's hard to define all this because it's, it's not precise, but all of the growth categories in sports, corporate sponsorship is up about 5 or 6% over four years ago, and rights fees up about 8%. The highest increase of any category is philanthropic charitable giving, broadly defined. And that's because mm. corporations are realizing that their messages, in order to stand out amongst the clutter, have to be socially responsible. There's also a company called EverFi in Washington that I'm consulting with and involved with where they have basically 3,000 deals with major corporations and teams and leagues all over the country and world where they'll take the corporate appetite and create K-12 through opioid prevention and anti-bullying and financial literacy and all of those things, and they'll channel corporate money into doing the right thing. It's not just taking a sign and saying, don't drive drunk, you know, and slapping it up on right field. It's really getting in the middle of using the sports platform to make a difference. And when you think about it, there are very few uh, platforms where you're able to do that. My friends who run United Way totally agree. Their relationship with the NFL has done more to get it out there than anything. And, you know, you remember from your Super Bowl stuff and Habitat for Humanity and all the things that happened around the Bay Area by virtue of the platform that Super Bowl gave. But sports is unique. Now, the whole issue of athletes as role models, that's a different dimension. I think, you know, Barkley's quote was well misinterpreted. I'm sure he's smarter than all that. One of the things about Charles, he's smarter than he sounds. He's a better golfer than he is. It's, it's interesting <laughs> in a lot of different ways. But the whole idea of, of where, what, if you're an owner, uh, my sense is you're a trustee. If you're an athlete, you're a role model. Uh, there are a lot of obligations that are bestowed on a you know, multi-billion dollar industry. And it's not just you can show up and make some money and then go sell and get out to someone else. There, there's a significant obligation as part of all that. Well, so, if you're – go ahead. So, go ahead, Rick, Jake. as you're talking about you know, all these uh, responsibilities from a high-level perspective, what can the individual – you know, within each organization across the country do from an impact standpoint, um, you know, because at the end of the day, yes, they, they may only be one person, but they can make a difference, right? Well, and, and here's the promotion, but it's also a fun thing. One of the concepts that I kicked around was how do you uh, get the message out that everybody ought to be able to do something like this? So, We've had a show that's now in its third season. It's called Power of Sports, and it's on the Fox regional affiliates, and some of it's on FS1. And it's shown about 80, 90 times a month around the rights fees, uh, rights uh, to the local teams in each market beginning and end. You know, Sinclair bought the RSN, so it's going to be on Sinclair. What we do is we go from market to market every month, and we focus on a community but through the eyes of the teams and their local charities so uh this month uh, we focus on kansas city and get the chiefs and mark donovan at arrowhead and get the royals and what they're doing specifically in that community the negro baseball league headquartered in kansas city in their museum so all of these cities have 
philanthropic stories to tell beyond just individual athletes, and we try to do that, which is a long way to answer your question of can individuals who are involved with organizations and teams be involved? Absolutely, because today, if you're in the front office or if you're an executive, uh, you it's not a favor to be involved in a charity or a community outreach program. It's kind of what's expected. It should be. If I'm managing a team, I'm going to tell my employees, you don't have to do this, but if you really want to be in favor and also it's good for you, you ought to get involved in it. So there are many, many more opportunities than there have ever been before. So, Rick, let's shift gears a little bit. So, so all the people who are involved as, let's say, owners, and, you know, it used to be that if you were an owner, you would own a whole franchise or a whole and now, you know, you've got groups of owners, and I would always kid uh, the owners that I knew and that I worked for. I said, the one thing that you all have in common is that you have this secret vision of yourself uh, on the field or in a clubhouse with somebody pouring champagne on your head. But w- what do you think? What do you think all owners, I mean, what is, why do people do this as an owner? And yes, I know they do it to make money, but that's not the reason that most people get into this. Why do they do it? Uh Ted Lerner is 91 years old, and he doesn't have much more time left on this earth. But look at his eyes when he stood up there accepting the trophy after the Nationals won. His son, the same way. He's had cancer. He lost a leg. Look at the excitement of winning. Now, that doesn't say that if you spend so much money and you're winning, but you lose on a cash flow basis, you ought to be happy. Uh, Owners should be very happy as they look at their balance sheet and realize they're always going to sell their franchise for higher than they bought it. Every owner cannot have champagne poured on his head, but that is the secret aspiration and every owner can do good. So, you know, if you are a balanced human being and you've also been very successful at your own other business, which except for people like the Davis family and otherwise that gives you the ability to buy these franchises, then you understand that there's nothing more visible in your community than taking a franchise and doing good with it, social platforms, creating a winner, but everybody can't win. There are people who are still very successful owners that have franchises that haven't won, but yet they're doing the right thing. So I think the answer is everybody secretly aspires to get champagne poured on their head, but everybody also aspires to do good. Well, and, and from top to bottom, you know, you, you go from the owner to the intern or to the you know, person at the front desk. Uh, we, we talk, you know, Andy on a couple episodes would talk about, you know, how you got to treat everyone the same. And, and you mentioned earlier in this episode about investing. Um, what about investing in yourself as the one who's working in the front office, working in the organization that's ultimately working for the owner, the organization, the community, the city, et cetera? Like how, Rick, in your, in your experiences, um, what can those in the industry or trying to get into the industry do to invest in themselves to make them not only a better um, person and a better performer, but also those around them better? Damn good question. But I, I, I think, in answer to your question, that it's up to each individual to be the best they can be. And I don't mean that to be trite, but look, years ago, when I was doing this in Wild West, and it's almost 50 years, and that's kind of the timing of the book, uh, everybody kind of wanted to get in the field, but they don't. there wasn't a, such a field. They were kind of defining their own thing as we went. Now, there are over 420 programs uh, 
marketing, law, administration, business at all levels of sports. And you have hundreds of eager graduates trying to beat the hell out of each other to take amazingly low pay and get an opportunity in sports. Some people will do it because they think they're going to run a franchise one day. Most people do it because on Sunday night you're saying, man, I can't wait for the weekend to be over so I can go back to work or a combination. And so the bottom line is don't squander it, maximize the opportunity, be as diverse as you possibly can be. I know that as the field gets larger with more people, the era of specialization inevitably happens because you have more people and you have more spots, but yet it's probably good to be the best utility infielder you can be because years ago you'd have front office people who did everything. And even if you're closeted because that's the job description, you are much more valuable if you know a little bit about everything. And I think that's one of the key bits of advice I could give. So let's talk about the sports business handbook for a minute, because uh, I was uh, flattered that you asked me to to write a couple things for it. And but the people who are in this book, I, I want to know why you why you did the book. But what do you what's the what do you think the value uh, is for anybody in the business in reading the book? What, what will they get out of it? Well, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, half your your hosts and I don't know whether you know, J- Jake maybe is in the second edition, but you and Dolich were key contributors to this book, which means that there is significant quality attached to the book as well as the podcast. I, I'd be, you know, I'd blow up the, the, my business if I kept dumping on you. It was very, <laughs> very important for me to get both of you in because of your experience. I'll tell you why I did it. I did it because, and this was also Paul Tagliabue's idea to, with me. We were sitting at a, a game and he was writing a, uh, an article and he was in the middle of it and I said why don't we collaborate on on a, on a book and he said I, I'd love to you know you do this I do that and then we realized there's so many things that could be possible and then we both at the same time said well you know why don't why don't we reach out to all the people we know and it ended up then being Rick and I'll support you and that begot Jerry Colangelo which begot Coach K as a forward I saw him beginning of the week uh, and then there were 107 of you. And I know that part of the sales pitch was there's been nothing like this. We're now celebrating in my narrow mind, the beginning of the second 50 years of the sports business. The seventies was kind of the definition and evolving of the business. Now we're in a entirely new world. So I didn't go in with the request to Bettman and, and Tagliabu and, and, and Steve Ross and, and Jerry Jones and and uh, uh, Kevin Warren and uh, I'm leaving people out, but Coach K and Colangelo mm-hmm. and you guys with the you know here's specifically what I want you to write. It was write a chapter talking about your experiences, trends, themes, advice, and what you think is important to people uh, who would read this book as a not a textbook, but as a how-to and a little bit of advice, a coffee table, how-to textbook combination. And I think everybody got together and did their own thing. Then we lumped them according to chapters. Every chapter has a couple of what we call sidebars in it. And the sidebars are written by people who have unique experience as well, including you and Andy. And I started the book by talking about the story that I mentioned about defining the Wild West 50 years ago. 
and ended the book with some business tips on how to succeed, which were created in a book that I did called When the Game is on the Line about 15 years ago. And I validated them out of the principles of from 100 of you guys and said, these are kind of the core principles, not because I have the magic answer, but these sustain. And so now we're in the business of creating kind of a tour that will start in 2020. We'll announce uh, the sponsor, which is important. And we're going to go to about 20 cities in 2020 and get the panelists who are involved in the book. And you and Dolich will be a key part of the Bay Area panel. You don't know that yet, but you've been formally invited. We'll either <laughs> do it around the uh, you know, U.S. the PGA Championship at Harding Park, or we'll do it at some point that makes a lot of sense. And then we're going to have defining moments of sports business history in each town. So we'll have kind of an interactive, what are the top 20, 30 moments in Bay Area sports business history? And we'll create lists and everybody will be mad because they'll argue over lists and everybody will like it. You know, you just you said something about the first 50 years, which, you know, which which I agree with you. I guess I'm more interested in sort of I'm not going to be around, but sort of, OK, what's the next 50 years going to look like? And there's one thing there's one sort of it's a trend. It's something that I just interested in how you how you feel about it. I don't get it, but it's because of my lack of imagination. What do you think of? of the future of esports, you know, the, the esports, which is, which is watching other people uh, who are competing. I mean, is that a real, is it a real, a real business? Well, it's a real business. Is it sports? I don't know. But for me, if I were to say it's not, or if you were to say it's not, then, you know, let's say 20, 25% of the entire world turns us off as old fuddy duddies. And so, You've got to be able to say it's a business and measure it with metrics that you've used for traditional sports business analysis. Fortunately or unfortunately, when you measure those metrics, it beats almost everything out there. And I know you could say, is it really sports to watch other people play video games? But everybody says it's absurd to think that this is actually going to be an Olympic sport. And I know for a fact that once the industry solves the problem of what game they're going to be playing that doesn't have everybody's head cut off and, you know, shot in a war game and Thomas Bach and the IOC will embrace whatever that game is. We're going to have this in the Olympics. So if it's not a sport, a whole lot of people are making a mistake. Hmm. That's interesting. And Pat, Pat, I thought about your, what's the next 50, next 50 years. And if I, put myself in those shoes and think about what 50 years could be from now. That's kind of scary. But, um, you know, as we, as we look towards the sports that are evolving, like the esports, what's the next thing, Rick, that we don't know about? It's going to be a combination of um, consolidation, integration, whatever it's called, beyond what everybody thought. It's going to be a device or a thing that is going to be content driven, that's going to be uh, at a stadium, at home, um, on a device, in a car. Uh, and and I, we're almost getting there now. And you can call it streaming, but, but I think content is, is so uh, flexible over the next 10, 15 years that the notion of traditional TVs 
um, will be completely gone. It's almost gone now. You see the latest numbers. And more people, more people, it's finally crossed the Rubicon. More people are watching devices by far than they are televisions and young people. So all of these ratings that we're seeing about how television ratings are down, that, that's BS because the content is increasing and more young people are watching content through different devices. And that's good. It's good for advertisers, good for everybody else. So the next big thing is some device we can't even contemplate that's going to have be all things to all people uh, broadly defined, much like, you know, 30 years ago, if you would describe uh, a cell phone, people would have thought you were nuts. But I am nuts. So I have the ability <laughs> to say whatever I want. Well, but you, but you think about this, is it now with, you know, with everybody's got a handheld device. So in essence, we're all writers. We're all photographers. We're all producers. We all produce content. You know, in, in one way, you sort of look at this and you say, it's sort of like walking into a gigantic library kind of saying, well, what do, what do I want to read? The, the question is, how do you find the stuff that's interesting to you? How do you, how do you slice and dice and go to the stuff that is meaningful to you? Which I, that, that, that's what I think is going to be the interesting thing to watch is, is how, do, uh, how do you either consolidate, compartmentalize, or how do, you do, how do you give people the opportunity as they plan out their days and their lives, how do you get them the, the opportunity to sort of focus on the things that mean something to them? Well, and I think there is a collateral question that's really important and as important is how do you uh, explain or uh, make people aware of the content that is legitimate versus content? I'm not just saying it's made up, but, you know, you talk to old beat writers and you and I both know them and they're the ones that are now on the outside looking in because they didn't embrace the digital age as well as they could have. And these were people who, when you when they wrote something, it was absolutely accurate. Nobody would question it. Now, like it used to be, a friend of mine, Bob Ruxin, who wrote an athlete's guide to agents, and said, "All you need to do to have an agent to be an agent is some poor schmuck calling you an agent." Now, all you need to do to be a journalist is an iPhone and the ability to tweet and satisfy the character requirements. That's dangerous because. I'm not sure what that means, not only to traditional journalism, but I'm not sure what that means to the sports business, to be honest about it. And I'm a little concerned about that. Well, I am, too. I, I think that it's, you know, you mentioned the, the sports writers and photographers that we all know over the years and how things have changed. I mean, Sports Illustrated used to be, you know, used to be the Bible. Life magazine used to be something that you would go you know, and, and, and Jake, that's older than you. Yeah, Jake, but Jake it, time out. Do, do you know what Life Magazine is? Have you heard of Life of Magazine, course, Jake? Of course, oh, of course. Oh, please. You and your next I, 50 years. You know where I want you to go with your next 50 years, pal? That's all I, that's all I was. <laughs> well, I, I will add in, we had, we had, uh, we had Shannon Ford on a, quite a few weeks ago, and, and her father was actually the president of Sports Illustrated at one point. And, um, you know, she is now a – uh, sideline reporter for the Blue Jackets and the Reds, and and she was saying now she's an Instagram reporter. Pat, did you ever think there would be an Instagram reporter? Wow, wow. Which, Instagram you know, reporter. She, she's awesome and she's doing great things, right? But that's that's I, her job. I, I'll tell you, I don't I don't believe that they're really. And you hear about people who I remember used to be afraid that with all the uh, heck we went for years at the Giants where we would be afraid to televise a home base. Right. Oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. because we wouldn't you know we'd we'd hurt ticket sales. But then you look at the Chicago Cubs, who 
played in Wrigley Field all those years, and you could sit in a bar across the street, which I've done a few times, right. and actually watch the game on television. The point, point is, I don't think there's anything that will get in the way. Uh, it'll make it better, but get in the way of the actual live experience of actually being at an event or being around event. I don't, I don't think there's going to be ways that you can follow it, but I don't think anything will, will be a substitute for that. No, I, I agree last I mean, few years and now we're on other buzzwords but the word decouching and all owners say that's really important to us because we need to make sure that uh our fans uh get off the couch and come to our games without decreasing our television rights fees because we don't want everybody to forget watching on devices but yet they've got to understand that the experience at a game is really critical win or lose you know, half the teams are going to lose uh, uh, every time. And, you know, half the teams are probably going to lose at home every time, maybe a few more home wins. But if you have a home game, you can't base your experience on just winning and losing. You've got to base your experience on entertainment. And as you said, it's reality television, but it also just can't beat the experience of actually being there, which is which is really going to be over the next um, lifetime, you know, our lifetime and even Jake's, the only saving grace for sports is what it means to be there. All the crap about television studios and fans not important. That's all nice color, but that ain't happening. So, Rick, well, but, but we all kind of face, we all kind of face this thing with these little handheld devices that we just talked about. And, you know, you go into a Starbucks now and nobody's talking to each other. Everybody's staring at their little device. I mean, there's some implications of that. That there, I, I just predict there, there's going to be, and it started sort of a backlash of people saying, you know what? I, I sort of want to have some time in my day that I get away from all. Well, that. I hope so, Jake. Jake, if you um, do, you know that the word "you" is spelled Y-O-U and not just "you." Do, do yes, you know? I do. Okay, my, you sure? My do you, my brother may not, but I. Do. How, how old's your brother? He's 22. Yeah, see, so, there you go. Have have you have you carried on a conversation on a device that's pure emoji language without any words? <laughs> I have not, but I I guarantee you, I know people who have. The I, world's see, going. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit more old soul, but that's okay. You know, I yeah, no, that's that okay. Those things exist. Gallagher, the world's going to hell, man. I'm telling you, it is going to hell. <laughs> I want to make a. I want to make one of these devices made out of wood. You know. <laughs> yeah, that that would be part like the old typewriter. Right. I mean, yeah, thankfully, yeah. Why not? And thankfully, and people, you know, our generation remembers it, the, the these these kids, quote unquote. But most of the uh, uh, keyboard cell phones are are the same as the old keyboard typewriter. So we didn't have to do too much. Right. I mean, we just can remember the same stuff. Although when I mention a typewriter now, it's not just derision. People don't even know what it is. Well, how about a fax machine? Yeah, Nobody yeah. knows what that is either. No, that's right. Exactly. Hey, Rick, well, I, I gotta, I gotta ask as we as we wrap up this episode. Yeah. What from from a and and Pat can jump in on this too, but from a legacy standpoint, I think it's something that maybe gets lost from time to time, and 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 we talk about um, all the different things that are going on so rapidly now in in our in our world. But as you think back to your career, you know, thus far, and 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 with the book and and everything what kind of legacy did you want to try and leave as you were sitting in the Harvard law school class and, and thinking about what was next for you? Um, for, for those, you know, who are listening, give them a, a perspective or a point of view to think about from a legacy standpoint. That's a really, really 
um, profound question for me because I think about legacy all the time now that, uh, you know, I can kind of see the back nine. Legacy for me is to uh, help, quote unquote, pioneer the field of sports law and business and also to uh, pioneer the kind of do the right thing, uh, identify what's important. You know, you mentioned template in another context earlier. And I think there is a structure around the business of sports, deal making, marketing, law, uh, all of those areas that people take for granted now. And my legacy, I guess, is I'm old enough to have helped define it and helped contribute to it and also to help explain how important it is to the general audience, the business consumer, the general consumer as well, and do some things from that that nobody else has done. I, I, I kind of like the challenge of, well, people haven't done it before. Well, yeah, they haven't, but now we're going to do it. And so I think my legacy is to take on some challenges. Some have failed, some have succeeded, but that's the legacy. I, I would just say the legacy, you know, it shouldn't be about making more money. It shouldn't be, you know, I, I, I read our, 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 you know, industry news, sports business journal. And I don't know, I, you know, and I, I admire a lot of the people in there um, who are in there, but in, in, sometimes you look at it and it seems like, God, it's just, is this all just about making more money for, for people? I think, I think that the beauty of sports, and this is a, maybe a little cornball, but it's, it's one of the few things that you can do that actually gets people together. Mm-hmm. It actually is something. It's more interesting than talking about the weather. I mean, you can talk about um, you can talk about your, your favorite thing, your favorite team. You know, the the no no matter how many experts or odds makers out there, nobody knows what's going to happen until it actually happens. And it's not just the event. It's who do you share that event with? If you who do you share it with? If if you go together. But also, what's the small group of people that you talk to about it? You know, uh, the old, they used to call it the water cooler, um, but it's it's a shared experience. And I think I I don't know. To me, the legacy would be how do we preserve and make that shared experience better? Well, that's a great comment. Uh, as we wrap the show up, to me, the legacy and the shared experience also are. You know, sports has helped me get through defining moments in. In my life, I remember uh, my dad uh, left us when I was 11. And the one thing that I vividly remember was March of 1966. And I know we're all old, but it was uh, a hospital room where he proudly showed me four tickets for the then expansion Miami Dolphins, who were going to play their first year in September. And he said, Rick, we're going to go together. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll take friends. We'll take mom. And And he knew he wasn't going to make it, and I didn't, and he didn't make it. And it was two months later that he left us. And those seats have been my legacy through Joe Robbie Stadium, through the Orange Bowl, through the new name. And while I sit with the owner uh, in the Dolphin Suite, those four seats have been empty since the mid-'70s. Actually, no, the 80s when the stadium was constructed. I got those seats. I chose to put little plaques under them and not give those tickets to anybody and use them as a memorial to my dad and my family. And I wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. into that, but everybody has stories of where they were at certain sports times. And there are very few things in life 
that rise to that level. And I'm really excited about, you know, being in a profession and helping to contribute to that and excited about being on this podcast, by the way, I, I think, I think Jake is great. And I think Gallagher, you're still a work in progress, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, based on your kind words, I appreciate your time and we certainly enjoyed having you on the, ep- the episode and, uh, always welcome you on again. Uh, certainly uh, would love to, you know, hear more about uh, the next 50 years. And uh, Pat, always enjoy having you on and uh, being the co-host. Rick, thanks so much for doing this. And, uh, you know, it, 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 we're, we're, we're looking for ways to sort of pass the baton to the next generation of people. Jake is one of them, and we're looking for others. And what we hope is through books, you know, like the Sports Business Handbook, and for anybody who's thinking about the business, uh, don't look at guys like Rick and me. Look at people like Jake and sort of what it can be going forward. So, Rick, thanks so much. I look. For, this won't be the last time we'll have you on, and uh, I look forward. I want to take the time to thank you for listening to Life in the Front Office. And if you liked our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. And for more episodes, visit us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com. And please continue to share uh, with your colleagues on social media and help us continue to grow. Thanks.